All right, before today's show, I want to talk directly to you. Yeah, I'm talking to you. I know you're out there. I see you out there. You want to start your business. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what pieces are missing. You're not sure how to find deals. You're not sure how to raise money. You're not sure how to structure your business. Who's supposed to be in it? What do they do? What are the roles involved? And how does that all work? And how do you scale it eventually? Well, listen, I've got you covered. I know this is a huge problem and I know you're struggling with it. And I have a solution. It's called the Business Fast Track Blueprint. It's a program that I put together. It's four weeks and it's designed to quickly get you off the starting blocks and get your business off the ground and running with a plan, a blueprint of how to create that business and turn it into something that gets you to your goals. If you want to find out more, it's Starting soon, you can go to Business Fast Track Blueprint. Go there, check it out, businessfasttrackblueprint.com. Sign up, be there. I want to see you on the inside of this program. I want to help you get your business off the ground and get you off to the races in 2021. Go check it out. Sometimes I think people do things because they think they should, or everyone else is doing it, or it seems like the right thing to do, or the thing that they should be doing at that age or at that point in their life or whatever, right? So let's just use something outside of business for a minute. Getting married, right? Why do you want to get married? If, if, if you think that you should be getting married, you should be proposing to your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. Why do you want to do it, right? Are you just doing it because you're at the age where you think you should get married? Well, that's a terrible reason to get married, right? Obviously, it's a terrible reason. You need to have a strong why. Business is no different. You have to know why you're doing things. So when I go to make a big decision, I want to first know why am I doing this thing? Do I have a compelling reason? Do I feel passion for it? Do I feel driven? Do I feel like I have to do it? You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me today on Just Start Real Estate. I'm excited to have you here. And guys, if you haven't gotten the word yet, if you haven't heard, I am offering a program for the very first time. The very first time I'm offering to work with you, my listeners, to help you build that business or to grow it and take it to the next level. I just did an awesome live event talking about the course, talking about the program, talking about the benefits and why I think this is right for you. If you didn't see it, you can go to my uh, Facebook page, Just Our Real Estate, and you can check out the replay. Uh, but it is starting really soon. It's starting next week, actually, as you listen to this. It's starting next week. So if you want to learn more, if you want to get involved, if you want to work with me directly, go to Business Fast Track Blueprint. Com. That's businessfasttrackblueprint.com, and you can get all the details. All right, guys, today's show is a, uh, it's taken from a live uh, Q&A that I did, not the one I just referenced about the program, but I do a Q&A every single week on Facebook, and people send in questions like yourself. People join live. They ask questions live. It's interactive. It's a lot of fun. You should check it out. It happens every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific, and I can answer your questions right there. You can hop on with me. We can interact and talk. It is a lot of fun, and I thought I'm doing these live events and I'm doing these Q&As, and I really think that it's valuable content. There's really, really good stuff that's being shared and talked about, and I want to. if you're not able to go, then I want to be able to bring it to you live here on Thursdays, and so that's what this is all about. So this is uh, one that was taken uh, from a few weeks back. And we had some great discussions on making big decisions and whether or not partnering is right for you and what goes into choosing a partner and the and, you know some of the do's and don'ts and lessons learned that I've had over the years. And then also, like if you feel a little stuck and you're not able or you feel like you're not able to take your business to the next level, what do you how do you grow? Like, what are the steps? How do you how do you kind of uh, diagnose the issue that you're having and then get past that and actually grow your business? So we talk about all these things. We had some good live questions. Uh, it was a lot of fun. So without any further ado, I give you my Facebook live Q&A. Here it is. All right, here we go, guys. Welcome back. I appreciate you being here. Uh, I have been doing. I should probably start numbering these so I know how many times I've done it. But it's been a couple of months. I've been doing it now. So, thank you for joining me back here. If you are joining me live, I'm excited for your questions. Feel free, as always, to pop them in the comments, and I will answer those as well. 
if I don't see those or if I don't see those right away, I'm just going to start answering questions that I get via text, via Facebook Messenger, emails, DMs on Instagram, all these places that I've asked you guys to go ahead and reach out. Uh, you've been doing that and I'm getting a lot of questions. And, you know, rather than answer, sometimes I combine them. So rather than answer, you know, three or four questions that are kind of similar and I know they're asking kind of the same thing, I'll combine them into one kind of mega master question. So, I'm going to do that again this week. Uh, I am going to pull up the ones that I've gotten and I will start there. Um, it, actually, I got one last week, right? I think, I don't know if it was right as I logged off or if it was uh, after we had already turned it off for a while. I didn't see the timestamp, but uh, it was from Jeff Turner, who I know. I believe it's the Jeff Turner that I know. I've known him for years. Um, great guy, great real estate investor. Uh, he always has great questions. He asked me, uh, Mike, how many times do you send postcards and how frequently? Um, I don't know. I feel like I've maybe answered this question on this be on here before, but just in case I have not, uh, let me just say, so I do use postcards. Um, and he says, how many times do you send postcards? So I send postcards. Um, typically, the cadence that I suggest to people is that postcards or any mail that you're going to do should go out no more frequently than once a month for the most part. Uh, I think going more than once per month to an individual, like if I get a, a card or something in the mail more than once a month, um, I think that's that that can be a little bit you know aggressive, a little abusive to people. Um, but I do think you shouldn't go more than. 90 days without sending somebody on your list uh, a correspondence, a postcard, a letter, whatever it is. Um, so the answer is somewhere between 30 and 90 days. And I think the sweet spot is really like between 30 and 45 days. Um, that's kind of where I think you should be when it comes to your mailings. Um, but it all really depends on budget too. But I always tell people don't, don't you know, have a list that's so big that you can only get to it you know, once a once uh, every six months, you can only get back through it once every six months. You should have a list that you can get through in, you know, thirty to sixty days. You know, kind of forty to forty-five being a real nice sweet spot. Um, if it's a timely list, like a niche list, where you know somebody maybe has like a code violation on their house, right, for the city, like maybe tall grass or whatever, something, some kind of a code violation. Maybe that one you want to go maybe a little more frequently, like the once a month. And that might be the one time where I would say maybe going once every three weeks is okay. Um, but you can imagine if you have, if you're getting mail from an investor and they're sending it to you, you know, twice a week or once a week, or even once every other week, it's like, come on, what are you? I got your last one. Like, I don't need you to send me one two weeks later. But I think after 30 days, 45 days, 60 days, Circumstances can change. Um, the problem that that they're experiencing that caused them to be on your list in the first place could be kind of getting out of control a little bit. So things change for sure uh, every 30, 60 days. 90 days is the limit. I wouldn't go any longer than 90 days. Um, so how many times do you send? I'm just going back to the question now. How many times do you send postcard and how frequently? I, I feel like those are the same thing. So I'm not sure if I answer the question, but um, I think I did. I, I would say 30 to 45 is great. 60 is okay. Getting up to 90, that's about the limit. I wouldn't wait more than 90 days to cycle back through my list and get to the same person twice. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. <laughs> so question here in the comments, what is your thought process when making a big decision? So when I'm making a big decision, I typically, I want to make sure that I really clearly understand whether or not it's something that I want to do. Okay. So when I'm making a decision about, and these are the kind of decisions that I make all the time is business decisions, right? And these are the, some of the big ones I'm, I'm going to make right you know, on a regular basis. If I'm making a big decision, I typically want to look at, first of all, what's my motivation? Why do I want to do this thing? Whatever I'm trying to decide whether or not to do or not do, um, I ask why I want to do it. And if I don't have a really great reason, or if it's like, well, everyone else is doing it, you know, or, you know, 
sometimes I think people do things because they think they should, or everyone else is doing it, or it seems like the right thing to do, or the thing that they should be doing at that age or at that point in their life or whatever, right? So let's just use something outside of business for a minute. Getting married, right? Why do you want to get married? If, if, if you think that you should be getting married, you should be proposing to your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. Why do you want to do it, right? Are you just doing it because you're at the age where you think you should get married? Well, that's a terrible reason to get married, right? Obviously, it's a terrible reason. You need to have a strong why. Business is no different. You have to know why you're doing things. So when I go to make a big decision, I want to first know why am I doing this thing? Do I have a compelling reason? Do I feel passion for it? Do I feel driven? Do I feel like I have to do it? Like have to do it or, you know, I'm just going to go crazy. And if I absolutely have to do it and I have a great why, and maybe it kind of aligns with some of my other goals and some of the other things that I'm doing in business and it sort of makes sense and there's some synergy. Okay. Now I'm, I'm working on the why. And, and I always work that out because honestly, if I don't have a great reason for it, like if I get to the end of my like process of trying to figure out why I'm doing this, and there's just nothing there, nothing compelling, nothing other than, eh, I don't know, I think I could probably make money. You know, like it's a horrible reason. Honestly, it's a bad reason to do it. I say it all the time. Money is like sugar. It seems great in the moment. And it seems like that's sort of what you want, but it, it doesn't, it's not self-sustaining. It will not keep you going indefinitely. Sugar will, you'll, you'll get this sugar high and then you'll crash. And, and you'll be even maybe lower energy than you were before. Money is a short-term uh, gratification. It really is. Uh, if I give you $1,000, you're going to be really, really happy. But you won't be happy 10 years from now about that same $1,000 because it wears off. And, and it doesn't take 10 years. It'll wear off. And who knows? Depending on your situation, it might wear off in a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months. But it will wear off eventually. And that's why giving people a raise if you work a nine-to-five and, and you have people that work for you, Giving someone a raise does not incentivize them long-term. It incentivizes them in the moment. They're happy when they go home. They're excited about it. After a few months, whatever money they're making, that just seems like what they're owed. They feel like that's kind of what they're owed. And then next year, they're looking for another raise, obviously, because they need that, that sugar high. They need that sugar again to kind of get them kind of going again. So when I'm making a decision, first of all, I talk about why. That, why am I doing it? Is it it's something I really need to do? Um, can I say no to it and still be okay? Or do I really, really, really need to do this thing? And do I have a real reason to do it? Um, number two, I try to get educated on it. Whatever it is, if it's something that isn't already in my wheelhouse, something that I already understand, then I'm going to go seek out somebody or some group or some resource that I can learn about that thing so that I can go into it and take strategic risk, right? It's what it's all about. It's it's what even this Q&A started at. It's like why I'm doing it because I think people struggle with strategic risk. They just they don't they don't take action because of the risks involved. And if you remove some of those risks, then I think people do take action. So for me, one of the things that keeps me from moving forward is if I don't know what I'm talking about, if I don't know what I'm doing. So my number two step is to get educated. I want to learn what I need to know to take the first step in whatever it is that I'm doing. So that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm looking to take that step. So I want to get educated. So I seek out groups. Uh, for me, masterminds, masterminds, coaches, that's where I go because I know that's where I'm going to get good information quickly and get from A to B very, very fast. I'm a super impatient person. If I want something and I know that I have a strong why, right? I did that first step. I figured out why I want to do it. Then I move forward and get educated. And I don't need to be educated from A to Z. I don't have to know the entire process. And I don't have to become an absolute certified master in whatever it is. I just need to know how to go to that next step. And so that's what I do. I get educated to try to figure out how do I get to the next step? What does it take to, to be successful in whatever decision that I'm trying to make that I'm going to do? Um, the next thing is I need to think about how, what do I have to sacrifice or what's the survivability of what I want to do? Okay. Um, one way of thinking about this is sometimes when people go to Las Vegas to gamble, they have a certain amount of money that they are willing to lose or to put it in a positive spin that they are willing to spend in order to, you know, make a ton of money at the casino and just win big. Right. But they have this amount of money. And also, by the way, that using the, the Las Vegas reference, they also 
set aside time, right? They're going to go on this long weekend and they're going to have this amount of money. And that's what they set aside time-wise. And that's what they set aside financially in order to go and, and do this, this weekend in Vegas. Okay. I approach business decisions and, and really any decision the same way. What kind of time do I have to devote to it? And how much money is it going to take for me to give myself a reasonable chance of success? And where am I going to get that money? Do I have the money? Am I going to partner with somebody who has money? Am I going to raise the money? Am I going to borrow the money? What am I going to do? How am I going to get the money? And how am I going to find the time? Because time is a resource. It, it really, really is. Uh, and if you just have nothing but money on your hands, but zero time, like you, you usually can't do that thing, whatever it is, that business or that that big thing that you want to do. And you have to really think about, you know, money can be made money. Uh, you can replenish money time. You can't. So you have to think about that. So I always really analyze the, what I call the survivability of a big decision. Can I survive? Maybe not, you know, literally, but figuratively, can I survive the money and the time it's going to take for me to uh, move forward with that decision. And, and then, so that's a real decision, a real thought process that I go through, uh, in order to do that. And then the final step for me, and honestly, I, this is so universal. It's ridiculous. I am particularly, uh, uh, guilty of, uh, struggling sometimes to like stay up with the things that I start because I am someone who is very driven. I like building things. And sometimes the, the daily grind is what I have to stay accountable to for myself. And so the final step for me is what mechanisms or what sort of um, accountability am I going to put in place in order to execute on this decision, this step that I'm gonna take? What do I put in place to know that I am gonna be successful? Who am I gonna tell? Um, who am I going to bring along on that thought process with me? How am I going to hold myself accountable? What, whatever that is for you, maybe it's just saying it out in social media. I'm going to, hey, everyone, I'm going to start this business and I'm excited about it. And within a year, I want to be, um, I want to be able to quit my nine to five, right? Like that's your, maybe that's what you want to do. And so your way of keeping yourself accountable is telling your friends and family, telling social media. There could just be a sibling or a friend or, Maybe even your spouse or your girlfriend, boyfriend, who you can say, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it every single night. I'm going to spend at least two hours a night after work doing this. And I want you to hold me to that. I want you to watch. And if I'm not, I want you to call me out. Right. So putting these kind of things in place so that, you know, you know, not only do you have a strong reason to do it, not only have you went through the time, effort and, and perhaps expense to educate yourself about how to be successful, not only have you figured out what kind of time and money you do have available to, to pursue this. If you do all that and have no plan for execution on a daily basis, then you're, it's going to go poorly. You're going to fail. So you need that execution part and that accountability part. So that's the four-step process that I go through. And by the way, guys, I have mentored, I've coached, I've been involved in a mastermind, seven-figure flipping for a number of years. I have literally talked to hundreds and hundreds possibly approaching thousands of people who are either trying to start a business or they have a business that isn't doing what they want it to do. And they're trying to grow it and scale it and really turn it into an actual functioning business that doesn't require them to do every single thing. I've been through that with so many people I can't even count. And, and because of that, because I know that's a real thing, it's a real struggle. I have created a course. And if you go to Business Blueprint. I'm sorry, BusinessFastTrackBlueprint.com. Uh, I just created a course. It's not even available yet. You can you can um, you can uh, sign up for it, but it's not. It hasn't started yet. It doesn't start until June. Uh, where I I literally take you through that four step process uh, of of finding that why, really really getting to the root of what it is that you want out of life and how this idea, this business is going to help you get there. And then setting the goals, 
getting educated. What does that mean for you? Like what, what kind of education you need? How far along are you in the process? We identify that and we get you that education or we show you how to get the education that you need. And then we talk about survivability, right? This, this is the big, the big thing that a lot of times is like the, what stops you. And it's just not knowing how to find the time and the money to get it going to make it happen. And a lot of people will tell me, and I've said this on social media and kind of making a joke about it, but I'm really actually serious. A lot of people tell me they don't have time. I've had friends and family who I've known for years who've told me that they want to start a real estate investing company and it doesn't happen. And, and I ask them why. And they say, don't, I, I don't have time. I don't have time. Right. I can tell you story after story after story of people that I know personally myself included, but other people too, it doesn't have to be about me, who had so little time, <clears throat> you would not believe what they were dealing with in their life when they started their business and grew it and, and had success. And so time and money, we, we talk about how to get the time, where to find the time, and then where to find the money, because that's a big one for a lot of people, don't have the money, right? Where do you find the money? And then we also uh, talk about the execution part. What does it mean and how do you execute every single day? This is a four-week course, a four-week program that I've put together. And I have been doing, I've been doing coaching calls and mentoring and one-on-one -on -one coaching for years. Lately, I've been doing it for free. I've just been making it available on my podcast. I'll do it for free. We'll hop on a call. We'll talk about your situation. And I'm doing it because I want to make sure that every single thing that people struggle with is included in the program that I've created, the Business Fast Track Blueprint. And it is a blueprint. I'm going to show you how to get there step by step by step. If you're interested in that, please uh, go to the website. It's in the chat right now. You can click on that and go check it out if it's for you. Um, but anyways, that's that's sort of an aside. It made me think of it uh, when, when I was asked about uh, um, how do I make big decisions? So uh, let me go. I'm going to go to the chat here and make sure I'm not missing anything. Uh, ba -ba 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 -ba. late question. Okay. Jeff's back. Hey, Jeff, how's it going, man? Late question from Jeff from last week. What leads are you marketing to and how often do you send mailers to them and how many months do you send? Okay. So <clears throat> I think I've said this too on past, uh, Q and A's. So in 2020, it was a unique year for all of us. Obviously, uh, we had the pandemic we were dealing with. And in Michigan, specifically, if you look at the numbers, Michigan was one of the hardest hit states uh, for the pandemic. And we also, I think, were one of the states that, um, depending on your perspective, either overreacted or you know, just significantly reacted to the pandemic. And early on in 2020, people had a real issue with with opening their mail, with touching the mail, with touching boxes for sure, but even envelopes, they weren't, they just didn't want to touch anything that wasn't absolutely positively critical that they opened. So we slowed down for a while and then ultimately stopped doing mailers in 2020. We starting to crank that back up and we're talking about our strategy going forward. But historically, which is I think the spirit of the question that you're asking, Jeff, you're not asking how do I handle mailers in a pandemic? But I can talk to you about that too. But we're kind of coming out of this now. It seems like we're kind of getting back to normal. And so what I would suggest to you is the leads that I marketed to for the last five years grew my business to over a million dollars. Like all of the success I've had in real estate over the last five years is mostly attributed to my mailing, my, my, my direct mail. And for the most part during that time, with some exceptions, I, I definitely dabbled and tried some other strategies. But for the most part, I, um, I focused on equity. I focused on people who own the house who have equity, because I know if you have equity, there's a number of ways that I can help you, right? I'm not, I'm not locked into a certain strategy. If you have equity, there's like so many things we can do to help you. So we really focus on equity primarily. We didn't do a lot of niche lists. Now, in my company, we decided to cast a huge net. So my philosophy was, if you have a code violation, if you are going through a divorce, if you had a death in the family or inherited a house, you know, all of these niche lists that are, you know, tax delinquent, all these niche lists that people go for individually, we were just mailing to anybody with equity, like on a big scale. So if you had 
you know, tax delinquent or code violation or any of those niche lists and you had equity, you'd be hearing from me. You'd be getting a card from me and I would be able to speak to you. And if it was a code violation, great. We'll, we'll handle that. And we'll talk about that. If it was a tax delinquent, again, we'll, we'll talk about that. Like we'll address that specific issue, but our mailing didn't address specific issues because we knew in my company that we're casting this big equity net. And that's what we did. Now, I will say to be super transparent, and that's why you guys are here. You want to hear what's happening now, right? What not what happened, what what worked for you five years ago or three, even three years ago. What are you doing now? So moving forward, our goal and our plan is probably going to be to scale back a little bit on the marketing and do more niche stuff. Go directly for niche and have our mailing speak to the niche that we are, or niche, however you pronounce it, that we are specifically mailing to. So if it's code code violation, we're going to, there'll be something, some language uh, regarding that in our mail piece so that we're probably going to hit a little bit more niche stuff. We'll still do equity, but niche is going to be part, a bigger part of the plan than it was in the past. Um, so that's, that's kind of my, uh, that, that's the way we're going to do it going forward. Hopefully that, that helps. Um, let's see what, let's see if I missed another part of your question. Mm, and how often do you send mailers to them and how many months do you send? Okay. So how many, uh, historically, we've been somewhere around 50 or 60,000 mail pieces per month. Uh, once we get back into full, like full cranked up the machine, the mailing machine again, I, we'll probably be closer to like 15,000 to 20,000. I think we're going to scale back our volume as well a little bit. Um, and the reason why we're scaling back, if you're wondering, is last year, our revenue dropped by about, 30%, but our profits went up quite a bit. We've had, we had a bigger profit month. I'm sorry, bigger profit year last year than we'd had for the last several years. So what we realized were, was that sending direct mail at the volume we were sending it, which was about 60,000 pieces a month, there was a lot of fat or there was a lot of waste in there that we, we didn't identify. We were forced to identify it because we just stopped mailing for a while. And you know, we realized we're still getting deals from other sources and we were probably over mailing. We were just sending out too much mail and it wasn't, you know, our effectiveness was really, really low. So we're going to come back at it a little bit more cautiously and sort of like we kind of cleaned house, you know, during the pandemic, like literally like cleaned house personnel wise and we cleaned house marketing wise. And we scaled way down and just said, we're going to, we got to get through this pandemic situation. And then now as we come back, we're going to introduce mail um, a little bit more cautiously and we'll ramp it up as we see things working, not just blast out, you know, 60,000, 70,000 mail pieces and kind of hope for the best. We're going to, we're going to implement it a little bit more slowly. And then how many months do you send? It really depends on the, on the list. So for us, equity, equity doesn't change that, that fast, right? So if you own a house and you have 50% equity in your house, a year later, you have you know, 52% equity or 51. It's like, it's very little, right? It's not a lot, maybe 55, but it's not a lot. So we don't change our equity list doesn't get updated that often. And so we mail them for year, like a couple of years before we ever, you know, get a new list and things. So for us, it's a couple of years. Uh, we know people sell their house during that time. So, you know, sometimes we, we scrub the list and get those, those people off of there. But for the most part, we don't, right? Because it's almost more expensive to scrub the list for us or it was in the past than it is for us to like actually just, you know, take people off the mailing list when they call and say, hey, we sold the house. We don't have it anymore. So that's how we do it. But as far as a niche list goes, if it's a code violation, like there's no point in sending that person mail for two years that it gets resolved before that. So it, depending, it depends on the list. If it's code violation, you know, maybe 90 days. And then, the, you know, that's kind of obsolete that, 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 um, that, no, that uh, situation has been resolved and that, that address and the situation's a little, little different changed. So we, we would change it. Um, if it was like a tax delinquent, same thing, probably, you know, probably, we probably do it for a year, just in case, depending on if we're where we are in tax time, if we're past that, that period where taxes become due, where they lose the house, and we might, if we're just past it, we might mail them for a year. If we're getting close to it, maybe we'd mail them aggressively for a few months. So if it's a niche list, it really kind of depends on the list itself and what's happening. If it's a divorce list, for example, there's divorce lists out there. Um, you know, six months, maybe that's about how long it takes to get a divorce, at least in my state. So 
Um, we prime mail for about six months and maybe a year at the most, but you know, it's not going to be two years because again, the situation will resolve itself in that time. Um, so it depends on the list a little bit. All right, let's see. Um, Jeff, Mike, uh, Michael asked me, how do you know it's the right decision and how to structure it if you want to go into business with a partner? Wow. Um, we could do an entire Q&A episode on partners. But here's some of the factors that you need to consider when determining whether or not you need a partner. I will say, first of all, in most cases that I've seen over the years where people have come to me and said, hey, we're really excited. We're going to build our business or you know, husband and wife or maybe just a single person. I'm going to build my business. And um, we're thinking about partnering with our friend or our neighbor or our uncle or cousin or friend from high school, what do you think? And usually when I ask them why they want a partner, they'll say, well, you know, they have money and we're going to use their money. And okay, but could you borrow the money instead of partnering with them? Um, and sometimes people say, well, this happens a lot. Once someone has started a company or started their business and they've been doing it for a while, a lot of times people want to partner if they haven't gotten the traction or the success that they thought they would get as fast as they thought they would get it. They start getting frustrated and they start getting honestly lonely. And, and so they want a partner because they just want somebody in the trenches with them, someone that they can commiserate with when things aren't going well, someone that they can bounce ideas off of. And that is not, in my opinion, a great reason to partner. It's not even a good reason to partner. You should not partner in that situation. Loneliness <clears throat> is not a good reason to partner. Just like loneliness isn't a good reason to get married, right? It's 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 a reason that sometimes people use, but you know you, you need to get a friend. But in in the case of business, you need to find someone that you can talk to that you respect, um, maybe who's in the industry that you're in or or not, <clears throat> but somebody that you respect that you can talk to. It can just be a friend or like you know, like a board of directors, like maybe two or three people that you really have a lot of respect for. And you know that they're really intelligent and you really, you know, admire them and what they've done in their life. Use, use them as a sounding board. Like don't, don't partner for loneliness. Don't partner for companionship. Don't partner for money necessarily. It's not always a bad idea, but here are some of the things you want to look at when you partner with somebody. Do they have the same drive as you? In other words, do you get up at 6am work until eight o'clock at night, take an hour to eat and see your family. And then you get back at it at 10 o'clock and work till two o'clock in the morning and then rinse and repeat every single day for seven days out of the week. Like, I know that's extreme, but are you that extreme like worker? Like you just, you're in it all the time. You live it, breathe it, whatever. And your partner maybe gets up at 930. They kind of mosey into work or to their computer at 11 and they work until four and then they take, you know, four or five hours with the family. Um, they don't really do it at night because they're not a night person. Um, and they go to bed, you know, at a decent time. And then weekends are for family. And like, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But trust me when I tell you, you're going to get frustrated with that person. You're really going to get frustrated with someone who doesn't work as hard as you do. You might be working too hard and maybe it's unreasonable. And maybe they're not working hard enough or they are, but it doesn't matter. It has to align. So if you're a workaholic, you better you better partner with a workaholic. If you're like super casual about it and like I don't work weekends and I, I go on vacation a lot or whatever, and I, I only put in a solid four or five hours a day, that's fine. That's your decision. I, I, I don't think you're going to be really successful in business if that's how you approach it from the beginning. But if that's you, and you, you need to find someone like that because if you find a workaholic, they're going to hate you after a while. So find someone with the same kind of work ethic as you. Um, you also need to find somebody who has a similar long or the same long-term goals as you. And the analogy that I always use, because I think it's perfect, it illustrates it really, really well, is if you are in New York, you and your potential partner, and you say, I'm heading west. Do you want to get in a car with me? I'm going west. Are you going west? They say, yes, I'm going west. Great. We're in alignment. We, we're both going west. And you get in the car and start driving. Somewhere in Illinois, your partner says to you, 
you, you got to go north here because Chicago is the destination. And you say, no, 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 no. I said west. I'm going to California. And they say, well, I was going west when we started. Like we were both going west, but now I want to go north because this is as far as I want to go. And you say, well, what are you talking about? Like we made a decision to go west. I just assumed you meant all the way to the ocean. Like you want to go all the way to California. So you can see <clears throat> this can happen in business too where you get in, into this business and you're like, you're both gung-ho gung -ho, and you're both working hard and you both want to make a ton of money, right? A ton of money, it's fake. And so one of you wants to get the business up to a million dollars in revenue and just sort of put it on autopilot and just chill and enjoy life and make it a lifestyle business and not just not kill yourself. But you, you want this to be a 50 million, a hundred million, a billion dollar business and they just don't want that. But you don't know that day one. You might not find that out for six, eight, 12 months, a year, five years, 10 years. You might find out you have different goals. So you need to know what the long-term goal of that other person is. Uh, another thing that you need to pay attention to is your skill set. Do you have similar skill set? Like, do you, are you both good salespeople? If you are, it's not going to work, right? You might have thought I was going somewhere else with that. But if you are the same person with the same skill set, it's an unnecessary partnership because you don't need two people that are great at the same thing. You need someone who's great at one thing, and then you need somebody, the other person should be great at another thing. So that is, that's, that's the way partnerships should work. You should have complementary skill sets. One person maybe is extroverted, the other person introverted, right? So that extroverted person can handle talking to investors and things like that, right? So um, skill set needs to be different, but complementary. And then the last thing is your risk tolerance. Um, I've seen this happen a million times. You get a partner together with somebody else, you know, two partners, one of them are just super high risk takers. Nothing scares them. They just go for it, all the chips to the middle of the table. And the other person's like way conservative. This is this was the case a little bit with my wife and I, when we were starting our, our real estate business, we were different that way. I constantly wanted to go, go, push, 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 buy more properties, do more projects at the same time. And she was more like methodical. Like, let's let's do this one that we're doing. Let's do it well. Let's finish it and then move on to the next one. And I was like, but I want to, I want to scale this. And she's like, I'm, I want to go at the pace we're going. Cause this is, this is for me, this feels more safe and more comfortable. And so you, you, you have to know that the person that you're partnered with long-term has a, a similar um, risk tolerance. If they're super conservative and you're super risky, there's going to be issues. Now for my wife and I, it wasn't a huge issue, but for partners who are like, Maybe if it doesn't work, like you have to split the company, that's a problem. And so you have to really think about that. So those are the four things that I would really pay attention to. It's a long answer, I know, but I, I've got more, but that's the short version of the partnership question. Okay, um, here, I got something that came through. I want to make sure I'm, I'm not missing anything here. Sorry, guys, give me one second. Okay, here we go. Uh, uh, let's see. Boom, 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 boom. How do you know it's the right decision and how to structure? Okay, partner, that's what I just asked. Good. Christine, any good resources for getting into Airbnb market? Uh, it's a new strategy for us. So I have a, a podcast that I did with uh, somebody named Avery Carl. Uh, she was awesome. If you go to Just Start Real Estate, and search for Avery Carl. You can go on my website too, mikesimmons.com. Go to the podcast link. Check out that episode with Avery Carl. She is amazing. She's very, very smart. She's been very successful with short-term rentals. I would use that as a resource. It's a little self-serving, but I just happen to know she knows her stuff. So Christine, go check that out. Um, it's probably 45 minutes or so. And I think it'll be super helpful for you. So go and check that out. All right. Uh, Jeff, my man, Jeff is back again with a question. How do you properly set up KPIs? So KPIs for anyone who's listening to this, who doesn't know is stands for, there we go. Got the link in the, in the, uh, in the comments there, Christine. So just click on that. She's awesome. Um, KPI stands for key performance indicator. KPIs are important in your business. One of the reasons why companies fail 
uh, one of the big reasons is they don't know their numbers. They have no idea what the health of their company is, right? It's sort of like going through your whole life without going to the doctor. Um, you know, some people like going to the doctor and really finding out what's happening. And some people don't. KPIs are no different. Some people love KPIs. Some people dread KPIs because they don't really like going through that process of, uh, of, of understanding where their business is. Uh, but that's why people fail because they don't know. So how do you go about setting up, properly setting up KPIs? I say you have to start somewhere. And I think the first place to start is what I call island numbers. And I, I don't think I made that term up. Actually, I think I stole it. I just don't remember who said it to me originally. So I, I think people should first establish their island numbers. And island numbers to me are what metrics would you need to know about your company if you were stranded on a desert island and you only got one sheet of paper with a handful of numbers on it what would those what metrics would you have to see to know that your business is healthy and successful i'll tell you in my industry and i think most people on this q a are real estate folks and so I'll tell you from a, a 10,000 foot view KPIs, what I think is important than what you need to know for your business. And this is what I've developed over years and kind of distilled down after a lot of trial and error and just tracking nonsense numbers that weren't that important. Here's what my island numbers are. I want to know how much money did my company spend on marketing? It, let's just say in a given month, for example, if we're doing monthly KPIs, but these all translate to a, a year or two. But how much money am I spending on marketing? How many calls or how many responses, depending on the kind of marketing you're doing, how many responses is that generating? How many responses or calls do I need in order to get an appointment or get in front of a prospective seller slash client? How many appointments does it take for me to get a contract? What is my average contract value? And then what is my revenue? That's what I want to know. Those are my those are the KPIs that I think you should start with. That's super high level. Um, it doesn't cover everything. But I think if you at least know those numbers, certainly in real estate, you will be okay. You'll at least know whether or not you're living or dying. And I really think KPIs are like the best metaphor for KPIs is the instrument panel in an airplane. I can start a business and I can get that business off of the ground without KPIs for the most part. Certainly in real estate, I can get them off the ground and I can be in the air and I can know I'm in the air. If you're in a plane, you know you're in the air, right? Once you get up, you know you're there. But if you don't use the, an instrument panel, if the pilot doesn't look at any of the controls in front of him, turns them all off or whatever, goes to sleep, you don't know if you're ascending, you don't know if you're descending, you don't know if you're heading for a mountain or a big tree or whatever, a tall building. You just don't know what's you don't know what's happening. And so you could be slowly descending and not even know it and eventually crash, right? It's like a business. You can be generating revenue, but if your expenses are more than your revenue, for example, or your marketing, what you're spending on marketing, you're not getting the return that you think you're getting. You can be slowly going out of business and you don't know it until you're out of business if you're not tracking. So that's how I would set up KPIs in the beginning. And then, so that's like, that's like kind of trailing indicators, right? Knowing how much you spent and knowing how many calls that you got and how many appointments you got and how many contracts you got. All of that is history. You're just looking at history at that point. So what do I do to be a little bit more proactive? So everybody in my company what I strive to do and what I've done in the past is give them activity metrics. What activities do I expect them to do during the course of the week and the month that will produce the outcome that I want? So my suggestion is the company has trailing indicators, revenue and call volume and marketing spend, like those are all trailing. Individuals inside the company have activity metrics. I don't really want to manage necessarily always to results because it's too late. Once you're managing to result, you're like, you know, you're punishing behavior after it happens rather than telling the person what behavior, what behavior leads to the result that we all want. And so managing to activity and managing to behavior is going to be a little bit more effective. KPI, still KPI. 
but it's an activity KPI. So activity KPI for the individual and then like trailing or like result KPIs for the company. That's, that's how I set up KPIs. All right. Um, I'm just scrolling back here to make sure I didn't miss anything. Probably set up KPIs. Awesome. Okay. Uh, okay. Angela said, I have been trying to take my business to the next level. Why am I stuck where I'm at and not growing? Oh, I don't know. Angela, what I suggest to you is that you go to uh, uh, Business Fast Track Blueprint and sign up for my course because I don't know. I'd have to talk to you. I'd have to to have some more information. Um, my guess is you're missing, you don't have a strong why. In other words, when you have a bad day or a bad week or a bad month, you're not pushing through. You're not, probably. Um, there's something in your education that's missing in terms of what you're trying to do, the business that you're doing. There's something you don't know that you need to know and you need to get that information. Um, maybe you're not, you're not spending the time that you need to spend. Could just be you're not putting enough time in, right? That survivability step, step number three, survivability. Have you found the time that you need to be successful and the, the, the money, the capital that you need to put into the business to be successful? I, I've seen this happen. I've seen people who are not putting the time in. That's pretty straightforward. I've seen people who are not, don't have the capital. Like they're, they're trying to do something that takes capital without capital. And so they need to figure out where to get that. So that, that step, or it's the daily execution. It's like the accountability is missing. You're, you're taking days off and no one's holding you accountable to that. That's probably somewhere. I, I know it's somewhere in there. hundred percent. It's somewhere in there because that is the whole blueprint. That is the whole, that's the whole enchilada. That's what it takes to be successful in anything you do and certainly business. So um, it's kind of harsh, but I'm just telling you, you're missing something. You, you either you don't have a really great reason for what you're trying to do. There's nothing, there's not, there's no passion in, inside of you, deep inside of you to do it. You do, you're missing something in the education phase. You're missing on something that you should know that would help you, um, that you need to get. Um, you're not spending the time or the money or you're not executing every day. It's, it's simple. It's usually one of those things. Okay, uh, let's see here. I am going to go back to the questions that I received as I think I got through everything in the questions right now. All right, let's see. What have I missed? Um, okay. I am a house flipper. Let's see, I got this question uh, over the course of the week before tonight and I put it in here. I'm a house flipper and I want to know how do you decide what to renovate and what not to renovate uh, when flipping properties? So, the question is, how much do you renovate? Um, what a lot of people do when they're starting off as a house flipper is they will over-renovate. And when I say over-renovate, I mean they will, they will start doing things to the house that they would want if they were going to live there. But the reality is they're not going to live there. And, and so what people over-renovate because they just think they have to make this house like as beautiful as possible. And that's, that's fair. And it's a logical thought process. However, it's not a, it's not a profitable thought process. What you need to do is renovate the house that you are going to be flipping to the level of the neighborhood or a little better. So if you're in a neighborhood where there's not one house for, you know, five square miles that has granite or it's just for mica countertops. Even the nicer houses have four mica countertops. Now you can put granite and that'll be a nice little upgrade that probably will help you sell, but you don't have to have granite because you have to be competitive with the neighborhood that you're in. Another example, maybe a better one is you might say, well, if I were going to live here, I would want crown molding throughout the entire house. I think crown molding looks really nice too when it's done well. And so you might say crown molding. Oh, I, I definitely would want that here. And so you put crown molding in the whole house and spend the money. But again, there's no house that has, nobody's looking for crown molding. Nobody expects it, right? So do you want to over deliver? Sure. But not on every single thing. Like you don't, if you do that, what's, you're going to end up renovating yourself right out of profit. 
And so you need to bring the house up to the level of the neighborhood and just a little bit farther. That's that's my my recommendation to you. So in a lot of houses that I flip in Michigan, I'm flipping in neighborhoods that are like, you know, brand new cabinets are great and it blows people's minds. Do they have to be soft clothes? Do they have to be custom cabinets? Do they have to be the most expensive cabinets in the world? No, right off of Home Depot and Lowe's shelves, those cabinets, brand new installed, will blow the mind of anybody who walks through the house. It's going to look gorgeous and it's going to be way nicer than the other houses they see. But instead of spending 15,000, 20,000 on a kitchen, I spend five or 6,000 because I'm not putting in cabinets that I would put in a $5 million house. I'm putting in cabinets that are comparable, but new to the other $150,000 houses in the neighborhood that it's surrounded by. That's, that's just what, what you do when you're flipping houses. The flip side of that's true too. If you're in that $5 million neighborhood and not 5 million in like on the, on the coast of California, where that's not a great, necessarily great house, but in Michigan, you know, million dollar house is is a mansion. It's huge. It's luxury. You can't put off the shelf Home Depot cabinets. You will not sell the house. That's not what people expect. So you have to rise to the expectation of the buyers, but not significantly beyond that. Just maybe a little bit beyond that. Just to just to differentiate differentiate yourself. So don't over don't over um, rehab a house. It's the, it's the biggest mistake. And by the way, don't use custom colors and like super specific design style. Like if you love purple accent walls in your living room, that's great. Do it in your living room, but do not do that in a rental or uh, not a rental, but in a flip because, or in a rental for that matter too, but in a flip, because that's your specific taste. It's going to turn people off. Believe it or not, some people have a hard time looking past wall color. And so the wall color has to be neutral enough that it's not you know, blah or bland or like it's unattractive, but not so specific that if I don't like that color, it's hard for me to see myself in that house. Right. So, so keep it sort of general and keep the palette a little bit open so people can imagine their own stuff in the house and their own wall hangings and things like that. So don't over uh, renovate and don't renovate to a really hyper specific taste, which might be great, but not for everybody. All right. Um, let's see. Here we go. What, another question. I think I have at least one more here that I had from the week. Okay. Is is house? Let's see. Bad idea right now because so. Oh, I see what they're saying. Is is uh, flipping a bad idea right now because of house prices are so high? And so the question is, should I be flipping houses right now with the the market being so hot? And um, the answer is yes, for sure. Uh, actually, this is one of the best times to be a house flipper. If you can find the deals, like the, you could not be in a better market for selling because you're going to get crazy, crazy prices right now. Like insane. Like I, I'm selling one of actually one of my rentals. I'm selling it. So the renters moved out. I went in to check it out. It's in great shape. Like we did some cleanup and stuff. It looks fantastic. And um, I got it sold. For this particular house was a rental. Uh, I had a buyer at one hundred and nine thousand. Right, it's just that neighborhood. It's nice blue collar, solid little little neighborhood in Michigan, and the sale price was one hundred and nine, which is was top of the market in January, and and so they were going through the process of getting financing and all that, and it just was dragging and dragging and dragging, and they finally sent me a mutual release. Their their realtor did. They they need out of the deal because their financing fell through. They couldn't get financed, and I was really mad. Like. I had given them so many extensions because they were promising me they were they were handling it and they were they were going to get their financing no problem and I was just so frustrated like beyond frustrated and so I put it back out on the market I asked my dispositions guy to get this back out on the market put it on the MLS let's see what we can do here and I accepted an offer of 125 just a couple months ago this house was worth 109 and that was sort of a stretch now I'm getting offers of 125. Like that's the market we're in. So if you're a house flipper, get these things on the market, get them done, get them on the market. I don't know how long the market's going to stay this way. So this is a fantastic time to be a house flipper. Absolutely fantastic. The hard part is finding deals. 
it's a little bit tougher in a in a seller's market like this, like a really, really, really hot seller's market. It's a little bit tough to to find deals because even houses that need stuff that are kind of crappy are getting top dollar. Like somehow they're getting top dollar. So finding the deals is a little bit tougher. Okay, let's see. I got a question from Jake. When helping someone out of a bad situation by buying their home, what are some things you're looking to do to help them while working through the deal? It's a great question, Jake, honestly. And this is this is like the main point when you are talking to a seller. Like your question is, what are some things you're looking to help them with while you're working through the deal? You are trying to help them with whatever their problem is, okay? And that, maybe that sounds sarcastic or a little bit too like big, but I'm telling you, you have to talk to them. Talk to them and find out what they are struggling with, what they need help with, and help them with that. Don't solve a problem for them that they don't have. It's easy enough. If you sit in their home or you're on a call or Zoom, if, if you're doing stuff remotely, ask them, what's going on? What's happening right now? Why are you selling? What can I do to make this easier for you? Most people are more than happy to tell you what they need from you. So ask them. We've had situations in the past where we've had people, we've helped them move. We've, we've got the moving trucks for them. We've had situations where the house was just full of stuff, like from for you know decades worth of, of accumulating. And they wanted to, they, their big problem was they didn't want to take a lot out. They knew they had a lot of stuff they didn't want. They knew they stuff they had they did want too. So they wanted to be able to take stuff out and just be able to walk away and not have to deal with the rest of it, which can be daunting depending on who you're talking to. And a lot of times we're talking to old folks, right? So they don't have the time. They don't have the energy. They don't have the health to literally like get a dumpster and get everything out of the house. And it's, it's, it's a real hurdle for them. And so if you can say, hey, listen, take the things that you want, take your valuables, take anything that you want out of this house, anything you don't want, you can walk away from, we'll handle it. Like you and I know maybe uh, as, a, as an investor, uh, Jake, you may, you may know that depending on how bad the house is, right? Like a hoarder house is a little different, but for the most part, to get a house clean, no, a, a dumpster is gonna cost you four or $500. Um, maybe the labor to get that all out of there is going to be another $500,000, $1,500, maybe depending on how bad the house is. And so it costs you maybe a couple thousand dollars, but you might get a better, a, a $10,000, you know, reduction of the price because you're just handling their pain point for them, right? So maybe you were trying to get the house 50 cents on the dollar. You get a 40 cents on the dollar because you're the only one who asked them what, what they needed, asked them what was slowing them down or, or what they were struggling with with selling their house. They weren't, you were just trying to sign the deal and get out of there and just get it for whatever you could get it for and go on. Like you stayed around and asked them, what's, hap like, what's happening in your life? Like, what do you need? What can I do for you? And a lot of times what they need isn't that costly. It's the perceived value. It's what it means to them, right? It's just what it what it means to have that burden off their shoulders is priceless, and it and it can make a big difference in in the deal too. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Hey, Kyle, what's going on, man? I know Kyle Burnett too. The market is crazy. It's so crazy. I can't even. Uh, I'm actually potentially buying a house right now, so I'm on both sides of this. I'm I'm selling and I'm buying, so. I get it. I know we're in a we're in a tough market. The problem is I we I don't know when this is going to change. Like Kyle, you chime in. You're a successful real estate investor. Um, I, I don't think anybody really knows, honestly. I, I think a lot of people had strong opinions last year and all of their predictions are not coming true <laughs> for the most part. And so people are a little more quiet, a little bit harder to get them to make bold predictions now. I thought by this time this year that the market would be slowing down but it's just not right now. It's not. And, and maybe it won't for the rest of the year. And we'll kind of see after that. Depends on who you listen to. Some people think it's going to level off. Some people think it's not going to crash. Some people think it's going to keep going up indefinitely, which I just don't think is logical personally. But is it going to crash hard? Maybe not. I thought it was. Maybe not. So we'll see. We will see. Um, let's see. What else do we have here? That is all the questions that I have. And all the questions that I'm seeing in the comments, guys, it is uh, 7.53 Eastern time. It's a good time to stop. Uh, remember, we do this every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. 
I come on here, I answer your questions, whether they were sent to me during the week uh, or you asked me in the uh, in the comments. So uh, please come and join me and do this. I'd love to, to grow this thing and have a big uh, group of people every week that we can just answer questions and help them out. Uh, like I said, this whole thing is a process. I've seen this this struggle to start a business. I've seen this struggle to grow a business and to scale it. And I know that there are steps in there. And I have put in the time, I've put in the work, I've put in the hours helping people, listening to them, understanding what they're going through and helping them get beyond it. I know it's a process and there is a there is a way to get through that process and get on the other side of it successfully. So come and join me in my program. You can find it at uh, uh, businessfasttrackblueprint.com. Go and check that out. Get signed up. I would love to see you in there. I want to see you succeed this year. And believe me, this it's not too late. The year's not over. There's a lot that can still be done in 2021. You don't have to think of this as being a in the future kind of a thing. It can happen right now. I've seen people in every walk of life, every walk of life. I mean, everything you can imagine that they're dealing with in their life still manage to make their dreams, their goals, their aspirations, their passions, make it come true. And you can do it too. So come and check it out. Come and join me. I would love, love, love to see you there, guys. But until next week, seven o'clock Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, right here. I'll see you guys next time. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.